All right, how are we doing, CC, at the 10.30? We ready to go? Glad to have you guys back. My name is Bryant, lead pastor here. And just to reiterate, whether you are a longtime follower looking to grow in your faith or uh, you're investigating faith, this place is kind of built with you in mind. And so we want to really uh, minister to both groups. And so we're glad you're here today. Real quick, I'll dive in in a second. Um, next week is a huge Sunday. Don't want to overstate, but I think it's accurate to say historic Sunday in the life of our church. Every year, at least, we do something called Vision Sunday where we lay out where we believe God is leading us as a church. We have some huge announcements next week. And so if you would, if you're a CCer or you're investigating becoming a CCer or part of our gathering, next week, man, we need 100% of you here at both of our campuses. And so um, be here, invite somebody to be here. Um, if you have a sphere of influence, a community group here, encourage them to be here. But Vision Sunday is next week, and we'll actually have a vision night to even lay out more that evening at 5 p.m., um, but you just need to be here for that as we kind of um, unfurl where God's leading us. Um, this last week, uh, a lot of people obviously have been affected, and so thank you for those of you who brought gift cards in, uh, for Walmart gift cards specifically, for those impacted by the Alifaya floods, we're partnering with Seeds of Hope, and um, you can put those in the offering boxes. We'll accept those throughout this week. We have office hours Monday through Thursday, and you can also, there's a place uh, set up on our website, there's a drop down where you can actually select to give money toward those gift cards, and so thank you uh, for your help. All of those of you who've been impacted, what Justin was just saying, like, I don't know if any, this is kind of weird, but you know when you feel like out of control, so you do stupid stuff that you can control? Um, this is so embarrassing, but like last Saturday, my chief concern was not knowing how long my power was going to go out is I was freaking out whether I had the right Netflix shows downloaded. Um, and the, you know what I'm talking about? Like the appropriate number, did I choose the right stuff? Like what if power's out for three or four days? Like I'm not even a big TV watcher, but like you got to fill that time with something. And finally, my wife is like, you have got to calm down. Like, there's a hurricane coming, and the only thing you're obsessed about is Netflix. So that was me last Saturday. Um, but seriously, uh, praying for all those impacted, the broad spectrum for the Caribbean all the way up, and those in our area. And there's a lot of people still suffering in our area and need help. And I'm telling you, I love, I'm a big fan of the Capital C Church. And when something happens, it's the church that is the most efficient and quickest in terms of getting aid and relief to people. And uh, if you've been plugged in, that is absolutely true. And I'm super proud of our gathering because so many of you, and you don't even know about this, we organize teams and we're out in our community serving and helping people, uh, a bunch of you that you didn't even know. And those needs are, are still on our website. You can go to our Serve Our City link. Um, our care team is taking care of all that stuff in terms of needs, so you can either let us know about needs or you can sign up to be a part of a team to meet some of those needs. There's going to be more help needed once some of that flooding goes down, and so thank you. Man, I love our gathering for that, and the level of generosity you guys show is absolutely incredible. Um, here's the interesting thing, and this like fits together uh, perfectly, and it wasn't planned, but in light of the circumstances of these last few weeks... Um, it's kind of, I guess, weird, uncomfortable at some level that one of the things that God actually uses to grow our faith, which is what we're talking about in this series that we're ending today, one of the things that God uses is what we would refer to as like pivotal circumstances. Like one of the things that God uses to grow our confidence in him, and we've been asking the question like, what would your life look like if you had absolute complete confidence in God? Like bold, unshakable faith regardless of what the circumstances are, which seems unrealistic. Like 
God's calling you to do something and you just do it even though you're not sure how it's going to turn out, but you just believe God? Like, what if you had that kind of faith? And one of the things that grows that faith is pivotal circumstances, like big defining circumstances, good or bad. That as you look back on your life or if you've ever been inspired by somebody who has huge faith, like huge confidence, and you're like, I want some of that. I I guarantee you a part of their story was some major incidences and circumstances in their life, and they became the defining stories of their faith and their confidence in God. It's just one of the things that God uses. But here's the uncomfortable part, and this is what I want to kind of look at today is even more so than positive circumstances, one of the major things that God uses specifically is difficult circumstances. Like God is not going to grow and produce all that he wants to in your faith and my faith without leveraging and using some circumstances that you wouldn't choose, that you would pray for God to take away, and that you would hope you'd never have to walk through. Like those moments where all the crap hits the fan and all of a sudden you start to pray desperate prayers. You know what I'm talking about? Like I've said this before, but um, difficult circumstances, I mean, if they're difficult enough, they will turn the most hardened atheist into a prayer. Like they just will, at least for a season. Even if they still don't believe in, the, in God, they're like, what's it going to hurt? I mean, things are so bad, you're like, I might as well shoot a couple up and just see what happens. But those circumstances where you pray desperate, those circumstances where... I don't know if you've ever experienced this for some of you. All of your arguments about God go out the window. Um, Those circumstances where it starts to kind of become personal. But one of the things that God leverages is difficult circumstances in our life. And, And it's one of the things that grows our faith unlike, and I don't even like that this is true, but it's true, unlike just about anything else. I love what C.S. Lewis says, great theologian um, and one of my favorite authors. And he said this, and maybe you've heard this quote before, but... God whispers to us in our pleasures, like when things are good, when everything's tracking the way we want. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf generation. And isn't that true? I mean, like there are circumstances where, I mean, God, like it or not, gets your attention in a way that he doesn't any other way. And maybe it's just he gets your attention, you're angry with him. Like you hadn't even factored him in for a while and all of a sudden you are mad. But there's something about difficult circumstances and God shouts. Like it is his megaphone to rouse, basically to lift up the eyes and the ears of a deaf generation to focus on him. And they may focus on him in anger or they may focus on him in desperation. But all of you, I think, have experienced this, whether you believe in God or not. It's, it's funny how God factors in when things are bad. Difficult circumstances are his megaphone to rouse a deaf generation. Now, here's the pushback, though, and I get this with what I'm about to talk about. This is one of those things where you start to think, well, I think this is just an attempt um, to kind of manage the image of God, because there are certain circumstances it feels like God needs image management, or this is one of those things, what you're about to talk about, that's kind of your attempt to um, explain away horrific circumstances, or your attempt to explain away Um, what is unexplainable with God. And and I get all of that. I I understand that. But here's what you just need to know, is from the very beginning, this has been part of the story. Like after sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, 
This has been a part of the human narrative for every single one of us. And for some, it causes us to abandon. For others, it leads us in a different direction. But it is just a part of the story. So when you ask the question, okay, how do I grow like bold, courageous, death-defying, out-of-the-box, I trust God in all circumstances kind of faith? And we've looked at five elements from providential relationships to personal ministry to private spiritual disciplines to our online service. Last week, we talked about practical teaching. And you can get that on iTunes or on um, our SoundCloud. But, but the big one, and in some ways it trumps all of the other ones, but it also plays off of all of the other elements, is pivotal circumstance. It's just one of the things that God uses. It will be the defining story of your faith journey in one of two ways. It'll define your story in that that was the circumstance that caused you to abandon God. Or it will be the defining story in that it was the circumstance that led you to have faith in God at a level you never thought was possible. And you never would have chosen it, but it just is. And God leveraged it and used it in your life. And so here's what, um, just two verses before I jump into the narrative, actually four, I'm lying. James, the brother of Jesus, the guy that was with Jesus through a lot, at least after the crucifixion for those days, I mean, he, he understood at a front row seat kind of everything that went down. He said this in James 1, 2, and, and these are just kind of uncomfortable. I, like, if you ever look at a pastor and you're like, man, are there some things that you're uncomfortable with? Yes, I believe it, but I don't really like it. Here's what James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, like Jesus' followers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, you fill in the blank, divorce, lose a child, lose your home, lose a business, financial fallout, they walk out, prodigal kid, you, you fill in the blank. Because you know that the testing of your faith, meaning there's a relationship between hard circumstances and growing faith, it develops the perseverance of your faith, of your confidence in God. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like from the very beginning, it's not like a new invention. This is not, okay, a couple thousand years later, how can we manage God's image? From the very beginning after sin entered the world, this has just been an uncomfortable part of the human narrative that there is an undeniable connection between growing faith and difficult circumstances that I would never choose and that you would never choose. One of the most powerful illustrations of this is maybe the most familiar. Even if you haven't been around church, you've maybe heard bits and pieces of this. And one of the dangers of this and a lot of the scripture is if you've been around it for a while, something that's familiar can kind of inoculate you to its power. And so you've heard it enough that you skip to the end of the narrative and, and literally you kind of crowd out the voice of God with what he wants to speak to you right now because the scripture is, is living and breathing and powerful. I don't have time to exp explain that, but it, it speaks, like God speaks through it. So this is one of the most familiar narratives, but it illustrates this in a powerful way, and it's just uncomfortable. So if you argue with me in your mind, I get it, and I can take that. Just don't do it out loud. Find me later. Send me an email. But it's uncomfortable because in this narrative, God doesn't just leverage an uncomfortable circumstance or a difficult circumstance. He creates it. It's one of the things that leads some of us to go, well, I can't believe in a God who dot, 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 and I get it. But it's just, it's just true. And so in this circumstance, God kind of unveils this kind of whole tension, this whole dynamic. And for some of you, it literally will create a new theological category that you didn't have before. 
And and I'll kind of come to this in a second, but, and it's one of those things, this is why the scripture is so important, because you would never intuitively come to the conclusion we're about to come to. You would not work like this. You would not act like this. You would not respond this way if like, if I were God, you you just wouldn't come to this conclusion. It is completely non-intuitive, but it's just true. Here's where the narrative picks up. John chapter 11, verse 1. You've probably heard this before, or maybe a couple of the names. Here's what it says. I'd love for you to see this. We'll give you a Bible if you don't have one. You can download the YouVersion Bible app for free on your phone. YouVersion, one word, Bible app. Um, NIV version, but here's where it picks up. You guys still with me in the house and online? Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This whole group are tight. I mean, they're close friends. Jesus has been at their house. They've supported Jesus' ministry. They know him better than just about anybody, maybe more so than the disciples. And so verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, and they just write this little note. Hey, pass this along to Jesus. Lord, the one that you love is sick. Like, how many people are you close enough with, tight enough with, that you could just send a text message, they maybe can't identify the number, and you're just like, the one you love is sick, and immediately you know it. Like, well, I love a couple people. But they are so close, they're like, hey, Jesus, no, no explanation needed, don't even need to give you his name. The one that you love. And here's their thinking, just to set this up. I want you to go with me to the narrative for just a second, okay? I know some of you have heard this. Enter into it. They're thinking, Jesus, we've watched you heal literally hundreds of people. You are so close with Lazarus. I mean, this is a very, very close friend to the point we don't even need to give your name. And so they already have an expectation about how this story is going to go down. It's kind of for formality. Hey, go send this to Jesus. I'm thinking he probably already knows this because we think he's the son of God. But just in case, just pass this along. The one that you love, maybe more than anybody else, he's sick. In verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. That's good. No, it is for God's, and this is where a different new maybe theological category comes to the surface. It's for God's glory. Okay, Jesus. So so you're saying that sickness and disease and difficulty for your glory Like, I'm all about glory, but I'm all about the glory of when I start a new business and it's just, I mean, it is moving and everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. I'm like, I give God all the glory. I'm all about the glory when the trend line is up and to the right or I'm receiving an award and, you know, everybody's applauding and all eyes are on you and you're like, I just want to, in humility, I just want to give God all the glory. I'm all about that glory. I am not about this glory. You can take this glory. I don't want to be involved in this glory, and like I get it, but you just need to know, and this may be a new idea, that this, this thing that you wouldn't choose, this thing that could end kind of horrific, this thing that could rip our hearts out, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Oh, God, geez, this is why people have trouble with you. Uh, so, so you're saying that, that difficulty, that, that sickness, this thing that, come on, we would never choose this. That, that this thing that, that maybe is about to play out, that you would allow this to point people to you? Find some other way. You're God. And then John comments. He, he's writing this, narr- this historical narrative. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And do you know why he put this in here? 
You know why John felt the compulsion? I, just, I need to write this down. Because you are about to doubt it. With what's about to go down in this narrative, you're going to need a reference point to go back to, to go, are you sure that you love them? Are you sure? Because you say they're your friends, and that you, but, but what's about to happen is going to bring this into question, just like it brings it into question in our circumstances. This, why, this is why so much of what Jesus teaches and does is not intuitive. You'd never come to this conclusion. God does not operate the way you think he's going to operate. And so he's like, hey, just so you know, you can, you can turn, there's no verses at this point, but find it in the manuscript. You're going to need to go back to this because you're about to doubt it. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So his disciples are all sitting at the table. They're like, all right, let's go. Let's sit back down. We're not going. But we, shh, we're not going. And Jesus does, this is where you would never make this up. This is why I believe that the gospels are true. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I say this all the time. Because nobody would make this up if you're trying to get a movement started and you want people to see Jesus as some kind of son of God or Messiah. Like people aren't going to follow this. In fact, this may repel people from joining this movement. Not that this isn't going to entice them into it. Because Jesus does exactly what you would not expect him to do. Jesus does what nobody would anticipate. And, and here's where it starts to intersect with us because I guarantee that you felt that. The, the diagnosis, don't, don't get the job, lose the promotion, lose our home. They walk out. They have hurt me so deeply. I don't even know how to unwind myself from this pain. I mean, whatever it is. And in those moments, like, it's your version of Mary and Martha sending a note. Hey, God, I think you're aware because you're the son of God. But just to let you know what's going on. And you plead. And God comes to the forefront. And you ask. And you keep asking. And nothing, nothing happens. And so then, after two days, and just go with me for a second, to enter into the narrative to just feel this for a second. Two days after Mary and Martha have agonized, they've waited. You ever dealt with somebody who's, who's sick, ever dealt with a diagnosis of somebody who's so close? Have you ever watched somebody suffer? Mary and Martha, after two days of waiting and suffering and agonizing, and then they watch at the bedside, they watch their brother die. And then, verse 7, then after all of this, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea, or basically back to Bethany, which is in Judea. Let's go back to Judea in verse 8, but Rabbi, this is so the disciples, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Like, we thought you were going to go, but we really didn't want to go. And so Jesus, again, like, all due respect, are you kidding me? Like, this is not a smart idea. Like, this is not a good idea. Like, we were just there, like, not, like, a long time ago, like, just recently, and they tried to stone you to death, so we don't want you to go back into Bethany in Judea and get stoned to death. And by the way, we're on next on the hit list, so if you get stoned to death, we're going to get stoned to death. But we don't want you to get stoned to death. We don't want you to give up your life. They're already after you, so it's crazy for you to go back in to that environment. And by the way, Jesus, we looked at this in week one. Jesus, that time, remember the centurion came? I hate those guys, but came, needed your help. His servant was 
was sick and you're like, hey, you have so much faith, I don't even need to go to visit your servant. I'm just going to heal him from here. Jesus, why don't you do another remote healing again? We don't even need to go there. Like you can do, just say the word. We, we don't need to go down there. But after two days, and I love the verses I'm not going to read. You can check it out for yourselves. I love Thomas, who's kind of like Eeyore. Thomas is like, all right, I guess we'll go die with him. And so these couple verses where Jesus kind of gives this little lesson on faith, and then picks up in verse 11, and Jesus and his disciples, I mean, this is my vernacular, just been chilling for two days. <laughs> Closest friend have agonized and suffered and waited. When his best friend dies. And now he's going to go. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I love this. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, so excited. If he sleeps, he's going to get better. Hey, Jesus, like, I think you're the Messiah. You should know this. But hey, Jesus, that's a good thing. Like if he's sleeping, I, I, again, I assume you know this, but it means the fever's broke. He's going to be all right. He's going to recover. Like this is, this is a good thing, Jesus. And by the way, we don't have to go there now, which we're excited about that too. But Jesus, if he sleeps, then everything is great. It's a win for all of us. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly. All right, dummies. I just have to spell it out for you. Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And his disciples are absolutely shocked. In this moment, if you can just kind of feel what they're feeling, they're absolutely shocked because they're going, Jesus, you, you knew? Like, you, we've been hanging out for two days and you knew? You knew that he was going to die? You knew he wasn't going to make it? You knew he was going to suffer? You knew he wasn't going to recover? You knew that this is how the story was going to go down? And his disciples are thinking, Jesus, we thought you loved Lazarus. We thought you loved Mary and Martha. We thought, and now he's dead, and, and now we're going? Which is insensitive in itself. You, they don't need you to show up after they've waited for you, and you didn't show up, and now he's already gone. What? what? And then I love verse 15 and simultaneously hate it. Verse 15, this strange verse. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Well, what about Lazarus? I don't think he's glad. What about Mary? I don't think she's glad. What, what, what about Martha? Because I don't think she's real excited about this. And this is one of those uncomfortable things that I just... Jesus is going, what I'm doing is so much bigger than what you see in the moment. And I know it's hard to even wrap your mind around this, but I'm willing... I'm willing to be misunderstood for the sake of what I'm doing in this moment. I'm willing, this is so uncomfortable, I'm willing for you to be confused about me. I'm willing, <clears throat> I'm willing for you to be heartbroken for a season. I'm willing for you to not be able to connect the dots and it's going to tempt you to draw some conclusions about me that aren't true. And, and I'm, as hard as it is to say, I'm okay with that because what I'm doing in this moment and through this is bigger than you realize, bigger than you understand, bigger than you'll ever be able to wrap your mind around. And I know that that's not emotionally satisfying. You're not going to walk away and go, okay, everything's better. It doesn't change the pain. It doesn't change the heartache. It doesn't change the fact that you're heart is being ripped out 
but I'm willing to do whatever I have to do for the sake of something that is so much bigger than this moment. But let us go to him. And before that, verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. And then there's this little Greek, it's called a henna clause. It, it creates purpose, it creates result, so that you may, what's the word? Believe. Jesus. This is why people don't embrace this. You, you mean that, that belief in you, trust in you, greater confidence in you is, is that important to where to some extent, I don't know how this all works out, that you would create a circumstance? Mm-hmm. You mean you want trust, that you want us to believe you, that you want us, it doesn't mean we're not going to question, we're not going to hurt, we're not going to be disappointed, but, but you want confidence in you so much that you would allow somebody that you love to be heartbroken, to be confused about you, to be even disappointed in you for the sake of that? Yeah. Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. So that you may believe me. There's something about these circumstances and your belief and your faith and what happens to it that does, I hate it, but doesn't happen in any other circumstance. And, and again, I get the pushback of, well, I just can't believe in a God like that. I, I understand. But this has been that way from the very beginning. God in his grace going, okay, I understand that's where you live. In those moments where they walk out, in those moments where it all crumbles, that moment where everything hits the fan, that moment when you're hurt so badly, you don't even know where to go next, that moment where everything is destroyed, everything you'd worked for is gone, the reputation is slandered, the moment that whatever it is that you would never choose, and in those moments you're going, okay, I know you're the son of God, but you've asked me to tell you about this, so I'm going to let you know, I'm going to bring it to you, I'm going to continue to pray, I'm going to continue to ask, how could you allow this? to them? How could you allow this to me? I've been so faithful. I've tried to believe. And in those moments when you start to doubt God's love and whether God knows and whether God's involved, that's where we live our lives. And you pray and you agonize and you seek and you ask and nothing happens. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then I love this interaction. Martha says what all of us say. Let's just be real. What you've said in some of those moments. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. You said that. If, if you had intervened, you could control. If you are who you say you are, you can control this. You can turn this around. You can begin to manipulate the circumstances in a different way. And Martha's like, listen, I, I had to watch him die. I had to know that you weren't coming. And I had to answer the questions every single day because everybody knew my relationship with you. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You say you know Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where I don't know. I don't know where Jesus is. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know, I believe, I have some shattered semblance of faith that even now, and this verse is so misinterpreted, God will give you, 
not you. God will give Jesus. She's speaking to Jesus. God will give you, Jesus, whatever you, Jesus, ask. Like, Jesus, I've been around you long enough. I mean, I've been in your home. You've been in my home. We've, you know, we've broken bread together. Like, I know about your ministry. I know who you claim to be. I've watched what you've done in the lives of other people. I know that whatever you ask God to do, God's going to do it. Why is my brother dead? But I know. That even now, God's going to give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to, you, said to her, your brother will rise again. In verse 24, again, I love the realness of this. Martha answered. And what Martha answers is, is the theological response. In that moment of hurt or pain or tragedy, and somebody's like, it's all going to be, God's going to make it right again. God's going to wrong it. God's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be life. You're like, I get that. But it does not help me right now. It does not take away the pain right now. And so Martha says, I know that you're going to rise again the resurrection the last day. I get all of that. And then Jesus says to her, and this is so powerful, this is what separates Jesus from every other religion. This is what separates Jesus from every other faith, every other ideology. Because what Jesus says next is, Martha, Martha, look at me, look at me. I know the tears in your eyes, hard to see. Look at me. I am the resurrection and I'm the life. This separates Jesus from every other religion because every other religion espouses an ideology about maybe some kind of life, some kind of resurrection, something hereafter. It's Valhalla. It's whatever. It's pushing you toward. We believe this set of beliefs. Jesus is the only one in history where Jesus was the message. Jesus was the movement. Jesus didn't claim to, I've got a teaching about a Messiah that you can get to know. Jesus was, I am the Messiah. Jesus wasn't about, here's some ideology about a resurrection and life. Jesus just drops the hammer. I am the resurrection and the life. It's why on Easter weekend, when Jesus died, all hope died with him because Jesus' ministry was never about his teachings, his beliefs, or his ideology. It was about a person. And when he died, the movement died with him. And the only reason it kept going, you should study this, is because he walked out of a grave alive because he said, I'm not pointing you toward I am the resurrection and I am the life. And you're looking at it eyeball to eyeball. Here's this moment, and here's the moment for you. Just go with me for a second. Here's what Jesus is answering in that moment. Who am I? In every circumstance, in every situation, in every difficulty, when the bottom is dropping out, there is one question at play. Who is Jesus? And it's this moment, as we'll find out, that Jesus begins to become more personal and personal in a way that wouldn't happen any other way. And his primary concern is to to unfurl for her what she's not going to get in the temple and what she will never fully experience just reading the Torah and what she's never going to get in a community group. He is answering for her in that moment, here's who I am in a very personal way. And he says, he who believes in, there was no Greek word for trust, so he takes this Greek word believe with the preposition and because he's going, John, okay, this is more than believe that. It's believe in me they're going to live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe that? I know that's difficult. I know that you're probably angry with me right now. I know it's crazy that I would go to those kinds of lengths for the sake of your trust and your faith. But 
I know you're disappointed in me too, by the way. And I know, I know your heart broken. And I, I know that, that all this is confusing. But do you believe me? In verse 27, I love that. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe, I trust in the fact that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Though you didn't do what I thought you should. And I waited every single day. I was by his bedside, and then I went out on the road going, okay, Mary, you take duty. Look, he should be down the road any moment. I mean, he loves us. We've seen him heal hundreds. Jesus, we were around that time when a lady who you didn't even know in the midst of hundreds of people touched your robe, and instantly she was healed. We watched you give sight to blind men on the temple stairs who were just to us random dudes. We watched you tell people who couldn't walk to start walking. We have literally seen you heal hundreds of people that we didn't even know their name. And so when we send you the little information that this guy that's closest to you is about to die, we know that you're going to come and you're going to do something any day now. And every day we're out at the road switching bedside duty, waiting for you, and you never came, you never showed. But I still believe you. Still believe who you are, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, even though I'm disappointed with you. And then the shortest verse in the scripture that, again, separates this this offer of relationship from every other religion in the world where you have a suffering, empathetic savior who doesn't just give you a verse in your suffering but says, I entered into your suffering and it says in the midst of, he has to go save the world in a little while, decided to stop and feel what they feel. In verse 35, Jesus just wept. In verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And everybody else cynical in the crowd is thinking, yeah, so why didn't he show up? And then, you maybe know the story, and I'm going to land this in a second, but Jesus tells them, hey, can we go to the tomb and let's, let's get into the tomb. I want to see the body. And they're trying to politely describe to him, Jesus, it's been a couple days. Like you didn't miss it by like, oh, you're almost there. Like you missed it by a couple days. He, and I love this in the King James Version, it literally says, he stinketh. <laughs> like Jesus, it's not, you can't, I mean, we don't need to go into detail. You can't do it. And Jesus is like, I, I want to see the body. I get it. You guys stand over there, put a mask. I, I want to see the body. And they do their thing, and Jesus goes in there, and then this is my paraphrase. You can read it for yourself of his prayer, that Jesus starts to pray to his Father in heaven. He's like, I don't really need to pray to you right now. I'm doing this for the benefit, not of me, not of you, but for those around me. And I want them to know I have a connection with you so they know that what I'm about to do is under your authority, and I have a power, and, and I really am, like, you know, together with you. And so I'm praying to you right now so everybody would know that I'm with you, and what I'm about to do is for not us, but for them so that they would know who you are and who I am. And, and he finishes his prayer, amen. And then he says to Lazarus, so powerful, come out. And Lazarus, and this is a whole other message, takes off the grave clothes and walks out of the tomb alive. And at that moment, there's never a doubt again that he is the resurrection and he's life. And then the narrative ends this way, and this is so understated. Therefore, verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith 
because it's all about faith. It's all about belief. It's all about trust. Put their faith in him. Jesus, it, belief and faith and trust in you is that important? Yes. That you would go to those kinds of lengths. I mean, it's, just, it's uncomfortable for all of us. Jesus is like, yeah, I will use anything and everything in order to grow your faith, your confidence, and your trust in me, because I want relationship. I know you've been confused by all of the ideologies and thoughts and lists that are out there throughout the generations, but this is different than all of them. It really is about a relationship, and a relationship is only good as the level of the trust, and I want your trust, I want your confidence in me, and I'll use anything and everything in order to develop and secure and to grow that. And here's what we've said here for a long time, and it's so difficult to believe, but here's what you find throughout the scripture is that God will take any pain and any hurt and it's never wasted and he will leverage it as a platform for you for your greatest good and for his ultimate glory. And that's not emotionally satisfying because that answer doesn't go, okay, well, I'm okay with this. No, I, God, I still want you to remove it. I still want you to come through. I still want you to heal them. I don't want to enter this. I don't want to go through this. And your heavenly father says, I get it. But you already know you will, you have, you've experienced it. It's the reality of life, and I will take any of those experiences that are difficult that you wouldn't choose, and if you let me, I will leverage them as a platform for your greatest good and my glory. And it's not that you're minimizing pain. See, minimized pain is pain that still has control over you. This is not minimizing the hurt, the agony, the heartbreak, the questions, the disappointment in God. This is saying that you can still maintain faith and that God can do something through the circumstances that you would never choose. And here's a little interesting fact that I heard unpacked at some point along the way is that, that Mary and Martha, they were the ones that, I mean, they never bailed throughout this circumstance with Lazarus. And they were there the moment that Lazarus walked out of a grave. And then what's interesting about their story is they were also the first ones who were there to see Jesus buried, to see their hope literally ripped from them to know it's all over, but they never stopped believing in Jesus. They doubted that there was questions over Easter weekend, but because they never bailed, not only were they first to be there when Jesus was buried and put into the tomb and their hope was ripped from them, they were also the first to be there to see an empty tomb as Jesus had walked out of it, proving once again that he is the resurrection and the life. And the thing that determined what God was able to do through them was the fact, not that they weren't disappointed, but they were able to believe in God in spite of. And 2,000 years later, this is just interesting, we're still telling their story. So what if that's true? What if that's true? It's not emotionally satisfying. It doesn't solve the dilemma. It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't mean you should stop praying for God maybe to remove it. It's a good prayer. But you know what makes all the difference between whether in those defining stories of your faith journey, whether you abandon faith or whether your faith actually grows, you know the thing that makes all the difference? It has nothing to do with the circumstance. In fact, just to be clear, the circumstances of your life don't impact your life at all. They don't impact 
your faith. They don't impact your lack of faith. They're not the reason that you abandon. It's not because of the divorce. It's not because of that death. It's not because of the diagnosis. It's not because of the financial disaster, because you lost your home, because they walked out, whatever. Those do nothing to your life or your faith. Circumstances of your life do not impact your faith. Your interpretation of your circumstances is what impacts your faith. See, this, this is why everything we've talked about in this series is so powerful, because I'm telling you, everything just about we're talking about is not intuitive. You would not come to the conclusion on your own unless it was revealed through what I believe is the inspired scripture that God would work that way, that God would leverage that, that God would, would be involved at that level. You would never come to that conclusion on your own. It's only through the revealed scripture that you'd come to the place to go, I would never do that if I was God, but it's a good thing I'm not God, and he works different than I do, but I, I need to know the scriptures so that my interpretation of my circumstances is accurate, that as you look at the, the unfurled history of all that God has done, that when you go through your darkest moments, it is not an indication of God's love, it's not an indication of God's lack of love, it is not an indication of God's lack of activity, it's not an indication that God is not with you, it's not an indication that God is not for you. Jesus allowed his best friend who he loved more than anybody else at a human level to suffer agony and the friends around them to suffer agony and he did it out of his love out of his grace and he was with them and for them every step of the way and you don't come to that conclusion without the scriptures the determining factor of whether you maintain faith or whether you abandon faith is all about your interpretation of your circumstances because as uncomfortable as it is, God will leverage everything and anything to grow your faith. And the only thing that you can do is to change your perspective because you can't change your circumstance. The only thing that you can do is change how you view your circumstance because in many cases you can't change your circumstance. And it's why everything we've talked about in this series is so huge because you need to begin to understand who God is and how he works even if you don't like it sometimes, even if it's not emotionally satisfying sometimes because that is the anchor for your hope when you go through things that you would never choose on your own. And here's the thing about an anchor. I know nothing about boats or fishing or anything like that, but I need to learn because I got two boys. But here's the thing I do know about an anchor is that when you drop an anchor, you, if the seas are calm, you don't even notice the anchor. You don't even think about the anchor. You don't even factor in the anchor. The only time you are aware of the anchor, the only time that you're grateful for the anchor is when the rope pulls. When the storm starts to rage, and at that moment, when the rope pulls, you know there's an anchor. You know that that anchor is secure. You know that you're not going anywhere in the midst of that. And unless you secure an anchor of hope in the right things to know, I may not like it, but this is how God works. This is what God will do. And in the midst of the circumstances I wouldn't choose, it's not an indication of his love, his grace, whether the fact he is with me, whether the fact he is for me. I know that I can trust him even when I am disappointed in him. And you know what determines whether you maintain perspective and interpret your circumstances correctly? It almost has everything to do with your understanding of God and who he is, but also it'll be determined by who you have around you. Those moments where you don't have the faith to move forward, but somebody else has the faith for you. And in the circumstances when you're tempted to misinterpret, they're able to reinterpret 
And in those circumstances where you start to doubt God, they're able to give you a context that you don't have in that moment because the emotion is so powerful. People that you surround yourself with who have the same kind of hope anchored to the same person that you do, that in those moments, they can begin to redefine for you. So when you're tempted to doubt, okay, I don't even know if there is a God. They're able to communicate to you. Listen, pain is not an argument against God. Pain is actually an argument for God. It's why you're aware of the pain. And you can be disappointed, you can hurt, you, you can question, you can ask for it to be removed, and all of those things can happen as you continue to believe and trust in your Savior. I love this quote from Philip Yancey when he says this, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. There is a way to be disappointed in a sin-infested world and still trust, and come out on the other side and have a confidence and faith in God that is beyond words and is inspiring to other people around you. And we've all met those people. And we all have our stories, don't we? One of the things about this message, even if you don't like it, even if it's hard to embrace it, you can't really deny that what we're talking about is it is. It's true. It's, it's coming and has come for all of us. And we all have our stories. I mean, as I'm preparing for this message, my wife's grandparents, who she's really close with, her grandmother just lost her other leg yesterday, and now they're thinking about care and where to go next, and it's an absolutely heartbreaking experience for them, whether they're even going to be able to live together after 64 years of marriage. You're like, God, really? Her brother then in a couple weeks is going to have a a surgery to, to hopefully remove kidney cancer, and you're like, God, really? For me, I I try not to tell this a lot, but 17 years old and having my 27-year-old brother pass away instantly and you get information in the morning and 12 hours later, they pull the plug and he's gone. And one of the experiences that like I can firsthand talk about that my family could talk about is is that, that we were disappointed in God. We were, I think at times for me, frustrated in God, wondering what God is doing and what made all the difference in terms of perspective and in terms of the way we saw our circumstances is the people who surrounded us. And I'll never forget coming home that evening early in the morning of the next day and having our home filled with people. People who during that season when we were, we were tempted to go, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know if you're really with us, and I don't know if you really lo- love us, were there to reinterpret and redefine and give context in the circumstances. And here's what I can tell you is we were disappointed with God, but we weren't disappointed without God. And for every single one of us, there's going to be a story, there's going to be a moment, and there's going to be a season. And the reality is God will choose what you would never choose, and God will use what you would never use. And he chooses what we would never choose because every single one of us, even if you don't believe, you know in your heart what could be, and you know in your heart what should be. And the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says that that's literally eternity that's been set in your heart. There's this thing inside of you, even if you factor out God where you know this can't be all there is. It can't be like this. This can't be the end of the story. This cannot be the final chapter. And you know in your heart what could be and you know in your heart what should be. And Jesus says to every single one of us, eventually, it will be. 
But until then, in a sin-infested world, I am going to leverage anything and everything for the sake of you knowing me personally in a way that you wouldn't know me any other way, of expanding your faith. And you may not believe this, but me creating a platform out of that pain to do something in you and through you that's going to change your life and it's going to change the lives of other people around you. And so the starting place is just this, and I'm going to end with this. Maybe you're in that circumstance right now. Maybe you just came out of that circumstance and you're still grappling with the wounds from that pain or maybe you're about to go into one of them. Would you just pray this? God, help me to see you in this. God, I have the courage enough to pray this and I'm disappointed and I'm hurt and I don't know what you're doing and I, I can't connect all the dots, but I believe you. Would you help me to see you in this. And God will, God has, and God can grow and produce faith and confidence and intimacy with him and answer the question of who is Jesus in a way that you're not going to get any other way. God, in the midst of this, help me to see you. Would you guys pray with me all over the house if you're online? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the grace that sometimes is disguised and distracted from in the midst of our circumstances and in the midst of our pain. But I pray that even in circumstances we wouldn't choose, you would push it to the forefront once again. And we would feel, we would embrace all of the emotions that are a part of human nature. But God, you would give us the courage in the midst of whatever we're going through to believe you and maybe just begin to pray the prayer, God, help me to see you in this. And God, I pray for some who are broken and hurt over a Nothing less than evil theology that has caused them to be disappointed with you over promises you never made of just have enough faith and you're going to experience health, wealth, and prosperity, and yet that's not the circumstance or the experience of any individual on planet Earth. And that, God, you would just begin to heal them of this ideology and the reality that you never promised pain-free, problem-free, but you promised you. And that you would be with us and our circumstances are not an indicator that you're not for us and you don't love us. And that you would begin to heal those wounds that have been put upon us and restore our relationship with you. But God, give us throughout everything we've heard in this series, courage to know what to do and wisdom to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name.